Hello listeners, welcome to Explore FI Canada, where we sit at the round table with Canadians and share their thoughts, ideas and personal journeys to financial independence. Thanks to Matt McKeever for sponsoring Explore FI Canada. Matt is a Canadian investor, CPA, entrepreneur and real estate expert who achieved fire at age 31. Do us a favor and check out his YouTube channel by searching Matt McKeever or using the link in our show notes. Welcome back, listeners. Explore FI Canada Money Mechanic with you again today, and Chrissy's with me as usual. Hi, Chrissy. Hi, Money Mechanic. How are you doing? Fantastic, fantastic, exciting show today. We have a guest with us, and we've had I, I get listener questions as well, and I know you have as well. Um, the topic of pensions comes up and DC, DB, we're going to throw some terms around and get into that. And our guest today is Ed Rempel. Thanks a lot for coming on the show again. This is your second appearance as, a, as our, our uh, resident expert. So welcome to the show again, Ed. Glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Now, Chrissy, we received an email from a listener. That's right. A listener named Kate, she emailed us with a list of fantastic questions that she wanted to get a pension expert on to answer. And she thought it'd be a great show topic, um, not just to answer her questions, but to help our audience in general, because pensions tend to be a bit mysterious for many of us. And uh, Money Mechanic and I are actually not all that knowledgeable about pensions. I know nothing. He knows a little bit. So we thought that you'd be a great expert to bring on because you work with a lot of retired people. And um, I'm sure you've dealt with a few pensions in your time working with clients. Oh, yes. I've written a thousand financial plans and a lot of people have pensions. In fact, quite a few years ago, I actually did a series of seminars on pensions where we had a, a group of our clients all were getting pay equity settlements. So uh, know lots about them. Okay, Fantastic. So, Ed, just uh, in case our listeners didn't hear you the first time, you're a fee-only financial planner. So just a very quick overview of who you are for our listeners. Yeah, okay. So I'm a, a fee-for-service financial planner. I've been a financial planner for about 25 years, and I've written about 1,000 financial plans. And the very unique thing about me, I think, is while most financial planners claim to write detailed plans, I actually write them. And they're actually very in-depth. You end up with eight or 10 pages custom written for you. It's so... Uh, I try to provide a very high quality uh, service. And uh, so I basically do two things. One is write a financial plan, you know, for a fee. So you, it's good to actually pay it, pay for it, because then, you know, you're getting a quality plan. And then uh, after that, you can either do it yourself or we take on a certain number of clients full service where we help you implement the whole thing. And we uh, help you look after all parts of, of your finances, including looking after all your investments, doing your tax returns, the the whole bit. So details are all on my blog. Right. You, you also have a blog and uh, that's called Unconventional Wisdom? Uh, unconventionalwisdom.ca, not .com. Right. Not .com. <laughs> <laughs> or you can go to and it's there too. Right. Awesome. Okay. Well, let's dig into this pension question. Uh, Christy, do you want to start us off? Sure. So our listener, Kate, she wrote us an, a lengthy email, but I'll just read out the starting paragraph so that we can dive into this. So she says, could you find a Canadian pension expert to come on and talk about the things those of us who are paying into pensions should be thinking about when analyzing our options for quitting and our FI number? And so she goes into quite a few questions, which are great. But I think we should start off first by um, defining a couple of terms that you'll hear thrown around when talking about pensions. And that's DC, which is defined contribution, and DB, which is defined benefit pension. So can you explain what each of those are and the differences between them? Right. Okay. So yeah, I guess it, it, it tells you what they are. So defined contribution pension, basically, it looks like an RSP. So it's your contribution that's defined. So usually you put in 3% or 5% of your pay and your employer matches it. And you get a short list of investment choices that you can put the money into. And uh, it grows. And basically your pension, what you're going to get later on, is all based on what the investments grow to. So there you, have, you can do a projection. But it's just like an RSP, basically. A defined, con uh, defined benefit plan, it's the benefit that's, de that's defined. So you're putting in, like, for example, a lot of government employees, they're paying 10% of their pay goes in. Their employer puts money in, but you have no idea how much they're putting in, and you have no idea how big the account is. But there's a formula that tells you what pension you get. And that's so it's the, it's the pension that's defined. 
And usually it's something like uh, 2% times the average of your best five years or something like that. So there's that there's that formula and you have to it's a good idea to always know what that formula is because then with that you can you can estimate what your pension's going to be. Okay, and what majority or which one would you say is the majority of types of pension? Is it DC or DB? Uh, DC are more common now. DB okay. used to be more common. Uh, today, there's actually outside of government employees, there's not not a lot of uh, companies that have DB anymore. Okay. I think they're very expensive for non-governments. In the event that somebody were to choose to leave a job to a non-pension job or to retire early, quit working altogether, what are the options with either the DC or the DB pension? Uh, Can you get lump sums from either of them? How does that look? Um, yeah, either one you can get uh, you can get um, options. In fact, different, especially the, the DB pensions sometimes have only lim- certain options that they allow, and it's they usually give you a pension book, or you can actually just phone the pension company and ask them what your options are. Or what you can do is you can often act, ask for a quote. Like if you're thinking of retiring in a couple of years, you can call them ahead, ahead of time and say, "Give me a pension estimate based on two years, based on this date." And they'll be able to tell you what what your options are. But normally, there's three possible options. One is to you know to take a pension or a deferred pension. So we either when you starting when you leave the company or uh, or at 65. Another one is to uh, transfer the value. They usually call it commute. Is the word commute the value, which is transfer it to an RSP. And the third one is to transfer it if you're switching jobs to a new company and they have a pension and they allow allow it to be transferred in. Occasionally, you can transfer it to another company's pension. So those are basically the three options. So if you were to transfer it to another company with a pension, are there fees? Um, is it similar to transferring an RSP from one brokerage to another where you transfer in kind? Or does it m- depend on whether they can hold the funds in the the receiving pension. Yeah, it depends on whether they can hold them. Actually, a lot of times it seems like that doesn't really work. Mm. Plus, it's actually, um, you don't actually know what's happening because there's actuaries that work. At the pension you're leaving, there's an actuary that figures out what it's worth. And then at the other pension, the new company, there's an actuary that figures out how many (laughs) service you get. And nobody explains any of this thing, anything to you. So it's all very opaque. Uh, whether or not they're charging fees, I'm sure they are, but nobody tells you what they are. Usually, I, I, we don't usually consider that option. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We just look at the other two options. Yeah, it sounds a lot simpler. So you outlined three different options, but is there potentially a fourth? Uh, Kate asked, can you also choose to keep the money with the pension plan provider and then receive your distributions at either 55 early um, or at 65? Yeah, that is the first option. So the first oh, option sorry, is, is to either take a, a, a pension when you quit or a deferred pension, like starting at oh, 65 or something. That's the first option. Take Just take the pension starting at some point. The other option is transfer it out to your RSP. I see. Okay. So you could choose to keep it with your current provider, and that might make sense for some people. Right. Yes. Okay. Just a quick question with that. If you were to choose to keep it, say, say the our hypothetical person here is forty five, so they've got ten years before early. Uh, they want to take their pension early. In that ten years, is there sort of a typical um, management expense ratio or fee that we're looking at for defined contribution plans? Is there sort of a industry standard there, or is it very wildly? Well, you know, it's it's actually a lot. It looks it's actually very much like a group RSP. So you you get a short list usually of mutual funds or you know insurance funds segregated funds that you can buy and then they'll have an underlying uh, MER. Sometimes the employers subsidize it, sometimes they don't. Uh, a lot of times they don't even tell you what what it is. Like insurance companies seem like they don't have to tell you the MER. <laughs> they they'll right. often tell you the management fee, but that's only one piece of the MER. So oh, our management fee is only one percent. Yeah, but that's not the MER. So. So, but yeah, so th- there isn't usually an, a, a fee other than whatever is built into the specific funds you choose. So I guess that's an important question for people to ask when they're, if they're just starting off getting into a, a DC pension or things like that is, is knowing that information and knowing what funds are in there that are available. Yes, yes. 
Actually, it seems like at least the management fee or something like that needs to be disclosed because I've seen some plans where they give you a list of, you know, 12 possible funds and the only thing they tell you is the management fee. That's it. They don't even tell you rate of return. Like, you think that you'd think that would be important. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So yeah. those are going to be Yeah. Yeah, those are going to be important factors for whether you decide yeah. to leave that money in that existing defined contribution plan or for sort of if it was a 10-year time frame type thing. So those are important to consider. If it, if it's a, yeah. If it's that kind, then yeah. So obviously you want to know what investment choices you have. For sure. For sure. So another question Kate asks is, if you choose to take the lump sum payout, is that amount typically the amount you contributed plus the amount the employer contributed over the lifetime you were at the job? Or do you only get your contributions back? Uh, okay. I think she's asking there mostly about the defined benefit pensions. Because defined contribution, basically, you put money in, it's, there's an account, then it grows, and it's whatever the value of the account is. Right. So um, for the defined benefit, it's not it's none of the options that she said. What what you actually get is there are actuaries that value how much is in your pension. So you have a pension that says at 65, you're entitled to this formula. That's how much pension it is. Mm-hmm. So when you leave a company actuaries figure out how much money would they need to be able to pay out that future pension amount. And that's how much you get. So, so it's not uh, something you can figure out on your own, really. You can't figure it out on your own. Okay. Yes. So 10% no, sounds like a lot though. I didn't realize it was that much. What's that? 10% of your pay is seems like a yeah. lot. I didn't well, realize well, it was that for, much. For most government employees, that's how much is being deducted from their paycheck. So they get a generous pension, but they're paying a lot into it as well. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. So now those commuted those commuted values, the pension values in, in today's market, are actually quite inflated. They're um, uh, because interest rates are so low. You need to a much bigger amount to pay out that future pension. So we're actually, we're actually, it's quite shocking how much bigger they are. They're almost, they're probably close to double what they were a number of years ago. Wow. Now that's interesting because I was going to ask you about that a little bit later is how that, how our interest rates affect that commuted value. And as you just stated, so when the interest rates are really low, like you said, because they need to be a lot higher in value to, because they're indexed for uh, inflation. Is that correct with the DB pension? Like you get it forever. Is it indexed or is it one amount you get at the beginning and that's it forever? Um, it, it depends on the pension. Some are indexed, okay. some are not indexed, some are partially indexed. Okay. Oh my <laughs> it's getting more complicated all I of know. a sudden. <laughs> yes. it's, a, it's a huge factor. Like if you're going to be retired for 30 years, whether or not your pension is indexed is, yeah. a, is a really important detail. What I find with pensions is the ones that index will tell you the index. The ones that don't, don't seem to mention it in their pension book. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, of course Good not. Note. It's in the really, really small print. <laughs> you can't find it yet, so. <laughs> so the next question from Kate, I think you pretty much answered it. She asked, are you compensated for interest and earnings from all that time you were profiting? They were profiting from investing your money, which is you don't really know because they do yeah. the math and figure it out, right? Right, but in, in general, you are because it's you know, the longer you're in the pension, the bigger the, the amount is. You you earn years that you've been in the pension for for while you're in there. Plus, usually your income goes up, so that's the, you're getting a decent return on on money that's staying in the pension. So, uh, yeah, and actually, so pensions actually up until recently all kind of had a built-in rate of return built into them, the defined benefit ones. And that that return that they've been using is usually been five percent. I think it's a bit lower today with interest rates so much lower. But so, for example, I sometimes talk to teachers. They'll say, "Oh yeah, you know, our teacher's pension plan made twelve percent. Look how much money I made." And I'm well, you know what? You don't actually get that. You get a pension formula that says what you get. It's based on an internal of five percent a year. That's what you get. You know the fact. That the pension made a lot of money means you could be more confident that you're going to get your 5%, hmm. but you didn't get that 12%. Okay. It won't be passed on to you directly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So her next question, I think you already answered as well in a previous answer. Um, she was asking if you move to a different job with the pension, what, what should you consider if you're looking into transferring the pe- pension to the new job? So it sounds like it, it can be complicated and often doesn't work out. 
Yeah, generally, I wouldn't suggest moving it to the new the job. Either take the deferred pension or transfer to your own RSP. And then okay. I mean, that's a big decision. And it's not a reversible decision. So it's something you have to think about uh, a lot. And it's probably something really important to get advice on. Okay. Yeah, that's one thing that uh, an issue that we went through. My wife had a defined contribution pension. And when she left that job, she actually ended up going to the federal government. And there's the you had the option to do a service buyback. So you can take yeah. that defined contribution amount and apply it as it would look like years of service in the defined yeah. benefit pension. Mm-hmm. So we did a lot of reading on that, but I found it very complicated. It was hard to sort of do a side-by-side comparison and see whether it was going to be worth it or not, because we didn't know what the eventual value of the defined benefit pension was going to be. So mm-hmm. definitely something we found very confusing. Uh, I was talking with Chrissy earlier about how difficult it was. There was a lot of paperwork involved. It seemed like the defined contribution plan was reluctant to give up the money. So at the end of the day, we decided to put it into a lira. So that kind of spins us into the next question. If you can just fill us in, in what is a lira and what are the rules? Yeah, a lira, you think it's, you know, Italian money, but actually it's a type of, <laughs> it's a type of RSC. So a lira is actually, it's a locked in retirement account. Basically it's an RSP, except it's got some restrictions. Uh, the the main restriction is, uh, you can't do any withdrawals from it until you're 55, uh, until you're at least 55. Yes. And you can't do it as a Lira. It's, uh, when you retire, you have to convert it to either a LIF or a locked in RIF, and then you can take money out, you know, money monthly or annually, but you can never take a lump sum out. Okay. Even after you retire. So, you know, with an RSP, when you retire, you convert it to a RIF. Once you convert it, there's a minimum you have to take out, but you can take out as much as you want. With a LIF or RIF, there's a minimum and a maximum of how much you can take out each year. Okay. Other than that, it's basically the same as an RSP. Just out of curiosity, what happens to a Lira if you pass away? Does it go to your beneficiaries? Like, How does it work when it goes to them? It goes to your beneficiary exactly the same as an RSP. So with a Lira, you... you you list a beneficiary. Most commonly, you, you list your spouse because that would be a tax-free transfer directly into their RSP. Okay, and it's, it remains as a lira if it goes to your spouse? Um, no, it actually goes in as, a, as an RSP if it goes okay. to your spouse. Okay. So if you open a lira to commute a DC pension, does that affect your RSP contribution room? Does it use up room from what you had or...? No, it doesn't. So that's a direct that's a direct transfer. So so I guess, you know, a bit of advice there on whether or not to do it. If you have a defined contribution pension, it's almost always worth it to transfer to your own RSP. And unless you are, you know, really not confident in your own investing. But the reason is in your your uh, defined contribution pension, the company usually gives you 10 or 15 different funds that you could pick. And that's all of your choices. You transfer to your own RSP. You've got thousands of choices and probably including the 10 that you have over there. So you could transfer it over and have the same investments, but you still manage it, you know, or you could have all the thousands of other investments. So I will find with a defined contribution, it's basically always better to just transfer it out yourself. You know, it's all it is, it's, it's an RSP either way, and but you just get way more investment options. With a defined benefit, it's much more complicated. Right. Yeah, we, that's what we ended up choosing to do was to remove the DC or get rid of the DC pension. We opened up a lira at Questrade. It was it was difficult getting the process done. It took a lot of time. There seems to be a lot of paperwork that has to get shuffled around. But once it was all said and done, we've got the lump sum in the Questrade account, and we just did uh, we do some index investing in there with ETFs, and it's great, right? We're managing it ourselves. Uh, we know what our costs are, and I think one thing we haven't mentioned that um, maybe you can speak to a little bit is with a defined contribution pension, you're taking on the risk. If you if you stay in the pension or you take the money out to a lira, is you're taking on the market risk. Whereas with a defined benefit pension, is you're not taking on that risk. Exactly. Defined benefit really, there the pension company and the employer are taking on the, the the market risk. You're guaranteed that pension amount based on the formula, regardless of what happens. You know, unless the company goes bankrupt, and then in which case you don't get it. But Sears, uh, yeah. <laughs> Nortel, Nortel. Here, Zampian, so we had a lot of Nortel people. Oh so, yeah, 
Yes, that can happen. But for the most part, that's what you get a guaranteed amount. They're taking the market risk, mm-hmm. right? With a DC or, or an RSP, you're taking the market risk. But, you know, you also have the market opportunity. Right. Yeah, so I didn't quite an- answer your situation there, Money Mechanic, when, you were, when your wife was looking at should she buy back the credits. Yeah. So here's my insight into that. A, a big factor in whether or not you should transfer out a pension or transfer into a pension is how you invest, okay? Because the pensions generally have a guaranteed rate of 5% built into it. I, th- I believe it might be a bit lower now with interest rates so, so low, but basically around 5%. So now if you're a confident equity investor, you would expect over the long term that you're going to make quite a bit more than that. And so therefore, you're probably better off investing in yourself and you'll do better. If you're a really conservative GIC person, you know, you're, you're going to make less money anyway. So then the guarantee is, is worth a lot. You know, for equities, equities are very um, erratic, short term and even medium term, but they're actually more consistent than people realize long term. For example, the worst uh, 25 year period for the S&P 500 the last 90 years has been 7.9% a year, 8% a year. So long term, it makes a really good rate of return and more than you'd get on, on your uh, on the pension. But when you while you're in a pension, you're putting money in and your employer is matching it. So it's worth the biggest advantage of being in a defined benefit pension is your employer is matching it. You're getting a guaranteed, in essence, a guaranteed 5% rate of return, but you're starting with double the amount of money. So that all works out well. Now, when your wife had a, an option to buy back past credits, there the company is not matching it. So it's only her money going in. Right. Right. So if, if you're you know, an equity type investor, or, you know, where you're going to have a good return, then you're better off not putting it in because you do better. But uh, but, you know, if any case where the employer is matching your contributions, you probably want to do it. Any case where they're not matching you, you probably don't want to do it. Okay, that's an interesting way to look at it. I didn't think of it from that point of view before. I've always heard people say that, you know, definitely participate in your company pension plan. If the employer is matching you, it's quote unquote free money. But I hadn't looked at it from that buyback perspective before. So the buyback, they're almost never uh, matching you on that part of it. So it's not usually worth doing. Right. Okay, that's interesting. Good to know. Chrissy, do you want to move on to, we were, we kind of got into Liras a little bit, but we wanted to learn a bit more about them there. Question seven, Chrissy? Yes. So Kate asks, I understand if you get the lump sum payout, you can only put a portion of it into a Lira. Is that true? Uh, that's true today. It wasn't true, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago. So so here's what, what happens is, so you're, you're transferring it. So you're leaving a job. You want to transfer it to your own RSP or to your own Lira. The company does a pension valuation. You get this commuted value that they're going to transfer over. But, but under pension rules, there's a maximum amount that can be in the pension. Okay. Today, with interest rates being so low, the commuted values are really inflated, you know, because you need a larger amount to pay out that future pension. So most of the time, they're a lot more than, than um, what you need, what you're allowed to transfer to an RSP. So you get a, a large amount that's, that's on top of it that would be taxable. So if you have RSP room, you can contribute to an RSP. If not, you end up with a big, huge tax bill on it. And some people think, well, I don't want to pay this big tax bill. But, you know, the interesting thing is if you go back 10 or 15 years ago when rates were higher, all that happened is commuted values were lower and you didn't get the extra cash amounts. You just got the amount that got transferred in. So all that extra amount, it's, it's taxable, but, you know, just think of it as a bonus. You yeah, know? you're still ahead. Yes, you're still ahead. If your company offered you a big bonus that's taxable, do you want it or not? So, yes, I want it, right? So <laughs> yeah. that's, not, that's kind of how to look at it. And it's actually, you might be surprised how big the values are. Like a, a typical government employee pension, the commuted value, you know, when you're around uh, 60 or so, the, the pension's probably worth a million, million and a half. It's that it's that kind of a, of amount. And so we'll often see them now, it's, it's, you know, it's 1.2 million, but we can only put 700,000 in the Lira. There's 500,000 that has to come out in cash that's taxable. 
Oh, wow. So, so can um, you can you clarify what is it that sets the limit of the lira? It's it's the uh, I guess the pension act. There's a maximum amount okay. based on the pension that you've earned. There's a maximum amount that it can be that it can be held. I see. Okay, so you right. get that maximum into the lira, and whatever's left over is a cash lump sum that comes to you that is fully taxable at yeah. your marginal tax rate. Yes, but okay. all that I always look at that as kind of a good thing. The mm-hmm. fact that you, the larger it is, the more inflated the value is. So you're getting, <laughs> You're yeah. getting a bigger benefit from it. Yeah, exactly. So you've got a limit to what can go into the lira, but if you also have RRSP room, you can put some into there. Now, the other yeah. thing that I was thinking about, which may be an important consideration, is is your tax rate for that year? Do you have the option of sort of deferring and then saying, "Well, I'm not. I'm going to quit uh, December 31st. I'm not going to work for the next year, and then I'm going to take my." commuted value to get a, a zero earnings year for the lowest <laughs> tax rate. Is, can you do that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, usually they want you to do it as of the date that you leave the company. Okay. But you can think about it, install it. And yes, yeah, so <laughs> if you're going to transfer to an RSP um, and you're, and you're retiring, a good option, a good time to do it would be right at the beginning of January. Yes. <laughs> it's not otherwise, you know, if you, you had your job the year before and now it's on top of that income, then right. you know you just tax that much more. So try to stall it to the first of January if you can. So strategic timing here plays a role in all of this. Yeah. <laughs> now it doesn't work if you if you're um, start you know if you're switching to a new company because we've had a you know a fair number where they're going to a new company they transfer out their defined benefit pension to their lira. There's a big amount, but they're switching to a new company at a higher pay. Well, then there's no point in waiting because it's even higher pay next year. <laughs> I have just a bit of a, like an anecdotal question, just out of curiosity. You've done thousands of financial plans. Do you find that people generally choose to commute a defined benefit pension or what sort of uh, do people d- decide to keep it? I mean, just you know, anecdotally, what do you find? Um, yeah, so there's, there's a, um, a couple of very big advantages and de- disadvantages of either option. Uh, I think our clients are probably not typical of the public, but so the big reason why you would keep the pension is because it's guaranteed. And that's yep. a big factor for a lot of people. And especially if you're not good at investing or nervous about investing, you're getting a guaranteed 5% plus you're paid for life, no matter how long you live. So that guarantee can be worth quite a bit to people. And if that is, then maybe that's the option you should you should take. Now, for investors, if you're confident, like as I mentioned, the you know the stock market actually is really reliable long term. So, if you're a confident you know investor, you can you can invest, make a higher rate of return than that. Plus, you can still be confident in your future, uh, and probably get more money if you you know if you're a, if you're a high equity investor. So, a big factor is how you invest. You know, people that want to invest are good at good at investing themselves and have a high equity exposure. Would, would be worth doing. So, okay, because you right. can probably make more money that way. But there's a couple other big factors. One is when you get a pension, you get the same amount every year, regardless, right? You just, that's what it pays out. So if you have the money in your own lira, and then you, usually there's a chunk that's now else, you know, ends up being non-registered. You can take, when you're retired, you can take as much or as little as you want out of that every year. So you have a lot of variation. You know, one year you're taking a big trip, you can take more money out, you can take less out another year. And so you can, you control it all. Okay. So that's another big factor you get. So on the one side, you get the guarantees if you keep it, guaranteed income for life. On the other side, you get prob- potentially a higher rate of return if you're good investing. Plus you have control of how much you take every year. Plus, the other big factor is the inheritance factor. So with a pension, in most cases, if your spouse outlives you, they get 60% of the pension. Occasionally, there's another option to get 80 or 100, but they usually get 60% of your pension. And once the two of you are gone, the company keeps all the rest. And so your kids get nothing. Oh, yeah. But if you transfer to your own RSP, your spouse outlives you, they get the entire amount. And then once both of you are gone, your beneficiaries, if it's your, your kids, they get the entire amount, whatever is left. So would it make sense for anyone who has a DB pension as soon as they retire to transfer into a lira? 
Well, so again, so you got to be a good investor with it, right? So you, yes, if yes. you're a GIC investor, then don't do it. Okay. <laughs> if you're an equity investor and get, getting good advice or confident about your investing, then usually you want to do it because you can make a okay. high rate of return and you get that control. Plus, it's a question also how important is it to you to leave money for your kids? Mm -hmm. You know, some people that are single have no beneficiaries. That doesn't matter. But if you have kids, then it uh, then yeah, that could be a big factor. And see, the thing about commuting or not or leaving it with a pension, it's not a reversible decision, right? There's big factors, you know, one way or the other, and you make a choice and whatever you decide you're stuck with for the rest of your life. So wow. there's, one, there's one other piece that you should know is, because you know why there's all the restrictions. If you transfer to your Lira, there's a bunch of restrictions on it. Oh, okay. Right, because you can't you can't take anything out of the lira until you convert it to an LRIF, and then there's a minimum yes. or maximum and all that. However, when you convert your lira to an LRIF, you're allowed to unlock fifty percent of it. An unlock means you can transfer half of it to your regular RSP. Oh, great! So the kind we often see is you know you do a uh, you you do a DV pension. It's worth a million bucks. They can transfer six hundred thousand to a lira, get four hundred thousand in cash, pay one hundred and fifty thousand in tax. Right now they get six hundred thousand goes to a lira, but when they retire, then three hundred thousand of it goes to a regular RSP or a regular RIF, and the other part, the other three hundred thousand goes to a, a lira or or a lift a lift or locked in RIF. So it's the three hundred thousand. It's in a regular RIF is much much more flexible. You can take much larger amounts out if you want. There's no maximum. Okay, and with that three hundred thousand dollar RIF, do you have to have room in your RSP in order to make that happen, or do, is it separate from your regular RSP? Yeah, it's it's already included. So they used okay. up some of your room when you put it in. Oh, of course. When, if you transfer it out, it's not using any more room. Got it. Okay. Right. Okay. Yes. So see, when you have a pen, when you have RSP, you, you get RSP room and you put money into it. Mm -hmm. When you have a pension, what happens is the actuaries figure out how much RSP room you've you've used, and they send you a pension adjustment, which is usually on your T4. Yeah, and it just means you get a lot less room. Like most uh, government employees only get about three thousand a year of RSP room. Wow, even Thank if they have very high income, because all the rest is is included in their. Uh, included in their pension. Got it. Where are we at here, Chrissy? 11? We're at number 11. <laughs> it's a tricky one. Yeah, I don't know how we want to ask this one. Yeah, so so Kate is asking. I'll just read it out, and then you can, you can go with it, Ed. So she asks, how would someone go about weighing the golden handcuffs of a job that they're not crazy about, but they don't really know what else they want to do. <laughs> Sounds like a psychology question. <laughs> yeah. So I guess she's asking, you know, if this job is pretty cushy, it's low risk, it comes with a DB pension. It, it seems like the ideal kind of job that a lot of people want, but it's not not thrilling. It's not fulfilling. So what what should someone do in that situation? Yeah, I want to throw something in there before we hear Ed's opinion, because I just think about rereading this question a couple of times. The fact that you're paying in 10%, that would go into making my decision to that question, right? Because mm -hmm. you think you're just getting a DB pension and you're getting your pay, but that 10% means something, right? So, Ed, what do you think? Yeah, actually, actually, let me just speak to your 10% before I get to to, uh, to the Kate's question. You're putting in so 10% in a DB pension, and theoretically, the employer is, is matching it. Okay. Right? So you're going with double the value. What that's not actually what happens in real life. So <laughs> here's what happens in real life. So you you putting in ten percent, and in theory the the employer matches it, so that you know, and then you make five percent on it. So it's like you each adding fifteen percent in a year. So let's say you're like in the teacher's pension plan where the teacher's pension investments make twelve. Okay, what actually happens is. Five is what they needed. The extra seven comes off of what your employer puts in. Oh. So the employer didn't put 10 in. They just put three in. Right. <laughs> right. You still got your total 15 value from the employer. But a lot of times when the investments are doing really well, the employer is putting hardly anything in. And often nothing. We had a period of time in the late 90s during the tech bubble. A lot of employers were paying nothing into it. 
Well, no, it's not happens every year. In reality, they have a they have a, a three year weighing, so it's they have to put money in over a few years. But in a set, in essence, that's kind of how it works works out. A lot of times, they're actually the employers are putting in a lot less. I didn't know this. Yeah. Well, let's not kid ourselves. Pensions are a business to make money too. They're not all just for us. Like it's a, uh, yes. it's a financial tool where they're making money with your money. Yeah, they have their they have their fee that's built into the pension that they're getting. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if we even know what that fee is most of the time, but it's yeah. Okay, so back to her question about the golden handcuffs of a oh, job like this. How would you make this decision? Yeah, so her question about the golden handcuffs. So that's not only a pension question, right? Like some people just have, yeah. it's a government job. Essentially, you can't get fired no matter how bad you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You don't even have to show up for work half the time. So it, <laughs> it's, a, it's a safe job, right? If you switch to a private sector job, it's you don't have that quite same uh, security. So that's worth, uh, you know, something that's worth something there. I always figure that, you know, security is um, being really competent at your work because if you're really good at your job, even if you change jobs, you can always find another job, right? Yeah. yeah. So, but anyway, so that's the work part of it. Let's, in this talk, we're talking about the pension part of it. Yeah. You're in this pension. And so, you know, the, the biggest benefit of the pension is that your employer is, you know, in theory, matching the money that you're putting putting in. So if you switch to another company, that's the part that you should look at. Like if if another company gives you if you switch to another company and they give you 10 percent higher salary, but they don't have a plan. Well, that's basically making up for the 10 percent they're not putting in your pension so you can be just as well off. Like I think right. some people tend to really overvalue the pension that that's mm-hmm. that's their retirement and it's worth so much. But and it is worth value. It's valuable, but it's not. Super value. It's worth you know the ten percent that they're putting that they're putting well, in. You bring up a good point. I mean, pensions have almost become this mythical thing where people uh, all think it's the best thing ever, and you should all try to get a pension if you can because they're all going the way of the dodo bird. And if you you don't get one, it's it's a huge loss. But it in this conversation, it's sounding like it's a lot more nuanced than that. They're not the be all and end all. Right. Yeah, they have, they have a value, but let's you should understand what the value is and how much it is because that then it's it's easier to weigh it against another option. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, you know, most of our clients I think are most of our clients are very equity focused investors. Like the majority of them are 100% equities and for our kind of like for that kind of client, uh, commuting the pension is almost always worthwhile. So we've had quite a lot that that, uh, that commute the pension. The thing about it is so many people were commuting a lot of pensions that they made restrictions to it. So most government pensions now, you can't take it out as a lump sum once you reach 55. Then oh. the, once you reach 55, the uh, you have to take the pension. You, you can't commute it any longer. So really? we have some clients that are in their 40s, they're specifically the, – planning they're going to retire at 54 and 11 months <laughs> yeah and because after that they can't because they want to commute and take the lump sum and then get the higher rate of return so but you know it, you have to it takes it's not easy to plan to retire at 55 versus 65 you know you need to when you've you've written some financial plans you know it's it, you got to save quite a bit to be able to retire comfortably wow so you're saying if you pass 55 even when you retire, you're stuck with with these plans that say you can't commute after 55. You're right. stuck for the rest of your life with the pension. Yes. So basically, pretty well all the government pensions have that rule in there. And actually here in Ontario, the teacher's pension, uh, you're stuck at age 50. So to commute, wow. you know, oh, really? you've got to be below, below uh, you know, under 50. So, you know, about 15, 20 years ago, there were a bunch of companies that did nothing but commute teachers' pensions. That's all they did. They had seminars. They commuted them like mad. I think they finally got sick of it. So, oh, yeah. so many teachers were quitting early just to commute their pension. Yeah. So they made the rule that you have to be under 50 to, to commute it. Oh, gosh. So, and there's no opt-out option? You can't just opt out of the pension? You, you can't can. opt out of that. No, you... Uh, wow. Now, I think what what a lot of a fair number, especially teachers, what they often do is they'll quit their job, take commute the pension, but then you can go back as a supply teacher. Yes. And, yes. 
and there's limits to how much you could do it, but you can still work, you know, half or three quarters of the time. Makes sense. Even after you've you've taken it, but then you've lost the employer's contribution into it, you know. Mm-hmm. If you're like most of us, getting life insurance is something you know you should do, but you never seem to get around to it. You're right, Chrissy. Now there's a better way to buy life insurance. It's called Policy Me, and I think our listeners will love it. More than 37,000 Canadians have already used Policy Me for their life insurance quotes. Yeah, I've actually tried it myself, and in less than 10 minutes, I received a selection of quotes from reputable, established insurers. It's fast, free, easy to use, and no pressure. Sounds great. I heard Policy Me uses intelligent technology and personalized advice that recommends what you need, but not a penny more. You could save hundreds of dollars per year on your policy as top insurers compete for your business. Protect your family. Get your personalized quote today at explorifycanada.ca forward slash policy me. So I'm just looking at some of the other questions we've got here, Chrissy, and I think we've covered a fair bit of question 12. Uh, Kate asks about modeling scenarios. So I think we've covered quite well is, you know, you figure out what amount that you're paying in, if it's the 10% example that we're using. The amount the employer is paying, that's fairly straightforward with the defined contribution pension. We kind of went into the percentages of that on the defined benefit, which is interesting. Um, So, yeah, she's basically just saying making an Excel spreadsheet type thing and putting in a compare. She wants to sort of look at a comparison if I did it myself or if I left in the pension. And I think we talked a lot about that. And, Ed, your opinion is that if you're a confident equity investor, you're probably going to outperform your your pension. Uh, So we can move past that, I think. Chrissy, next one. Actually, I can I can yeah. answer a question more more directly because okay. I mean, there's the general rule that if you're making five in a pension, if you're if, if you invest in it and can make more than that, you're probably be- better off long term. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, there is a bit of an offset because you actually need to plan for the rest of your life, and pensions can plan for the average life expectancy. Right. So there is a little a little bit of an offset there. But what we've actually done for quite a few clients, when when they actually have the pension, so now they're going to leave their job, they get the pension quote, and it says you can retire at sixty five on fifty thousand a year, or you can get you know eight hundred thousand. So okay, so then we actually, so then once we have those, like the pension, when you leave, you get you can get a pension statement or a pension quote, and they'll actually give you those numbers, okay. and then you can do the actual math. They won't give you that quote until you decide to quit. No, you can usually get it ahead of time. So okay, if you're okay. quitting in a few years, you can you can just call the pension co- company and say, "I just, you know, I'm just thinking." You know, and they don't they're separate from the employer, so you can just ask them directly and just ask it as a theoretical question. You're considering retirement options, so can you give me an estimate of of what my pension would be at this date? And also, if I commuted it, how much would the value be? And then, so once you have the specific numbers, then we can give you a much more specific, okay, now, you you know, even though there's a general guideline, these are millions of dollars we're talking about, large amounts, so you want to do it exactly, right? Yeah. So then then you can look at, well, okay, if I get a bunch that's not, that's taxable at the beginning, let's assume that I lose a bit of that right off the top in tax, okay? Now I invest in the rest, what rate of return do I expect to get? And then when you retire, we often use this, uh, you know, there's the 4% rule that you can use to figure out how much, if, you know, if you save up a million bucks, it'll probably pay you 4% a year. So again, 4%, um, I have a big study that I put on my blog, but if you're an equity investor, you can take 4% a year out of your invest- investments. If you're really conservative, you should only take 25 or 3% out. But, you know, so now you can take the lump sum and project the growth and then how much would you take out of it compare that specifically to how much the pension is giving you. And then, then you have a, you know, a much more definite answer. Right. That's, that's very helpful. Yeah. And we've done that quest. We've done that calculation lots of times for, okay. for, for different people. And, you know, interestingly is 10 or 15 years ago for equity investors, usually uh, commuting, it was ahead, but it wasn't massively ahead. It was 20 or 30% more. Now, with today's values, like we just did uh, one uh, about two weeks ago, and the difference was huge. It was like almost twice as much. It's because now the values are so inflated. It's it's quite surprising how much the difference is now. Okay, that leads me into – sorry, I'm cutting you off, Chrissy. I'm asking this question. 
this leads me to an example that we had here in the questions. I don't, Chrissy, did you come up with this example or did Kate supply it? Kate sent it. Yeah. We'll put it in the show notes. It's yeah. We'll put it in the show notes. It's a short video from Edmonton city news in Edmonton. And it, uh, the lady in the news article says that her commuted value was cut nearly in half. So she was quoted 108,000, uh, the year previous. And then due to uh, life circumstances, she had to get it requoted and was going to take the commuted value and it dropped down to 50% and or 50% of that's around $50,000. And she, it didn't go into a lot of detail. So there's probably some things that we don't know about this, but I guess the question I'm asking is, do we need to worry about policy and pension changes that could drastically affect our commuted values? Yeah, actually that's quite unusual because they, the, the commuted value, the actuaries are usually pretty scientific about it. So usually you don't see it, it drop. In fact, from year to year, it almost always goes up. I guess the difference would be is the employer, remember the employer still runs it, so they can change the rules. Right. So you, if, if your pension pays 2% per year times the average of the best five years, and they just say, you know what, we're just changing it to 1% a year. Right. right? So there's, there's risk. I mean, we can't control that. They, they could change it and then, uh, you know, get less. Of course, you know, they would get a big, uh, lot, big employee <laughs> protest if they did that. So it's rarely done. Yeah, yeah. But you do the you you do see that sometimes when there's companies that are in financial difficulty because right. uh, the defined benefit plans are actually very expensive for employers to uh, to have. There's some reasons that for uh, government governments it's 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 less of a risk, but for uh, for employ for employers it's really expensive. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not just that that you know that the ten percent that they're putting in. It's they have to have it audited and there's all kinds of rules. And then when they're behind, when the investments go down, you know, in reality, it's the employer. It's not really the pension company that's guaranteeing the pension. It's the employer, mm-hmm. you know. So if if there's really bad years, the investments are down a lot. Like 2008, the investments were down a lot. Most pensions were uh, 30 or 35 or percent under underfunded. Okay, and at that point, it's 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 not that the insurance company guarantees it; it's the employer has to put a whole bunch more money in. Right. Um, they, you know, if you have one down year and it was back up, they're fine. But if it's you know if it's if if it's extended and the pension stays underfunded for quite a while, they have to put more money in. That's why it's so risky for a lot of uh, private private equities, you know, private enterprise companies to be able to to be able to have pensions. Yeah, and then if your if your pension is underfunded, and you go to commute it, then they will sometimes reduce it because of that. Ah, I see. So, I my question then is, how is it fair for the employer to put in less when on years when the plan does well? Why can't they put in the same amount every year, and then there's a surplus <laughs> to cover the lower years? Why don't they do, they do that? It's not how you run a business, Chris. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> You want the, yeah. Well, there's, there's two. There's two solid reasons. One is they don't have to. So why should they? <laughs> the other one is they're actually, as I said before, there is a maximum that can be put into it. Hmm. Okay. So there is even there is a, if if the investments are doing really well, the the employer is not even allowed to put that amount in because you get you get it over the maximum. Okay. Right. I see that with um, personal pension plans. Like some small companies can do, uh, they can uh, you can do a pension plan for just yourself as the employer. You you own as as a you own a company by yourself, right? And you create a personal pension just for yourself, and your company is paying into it. And uh, what actually happens? It's kind of interesting because you actually get more, in essence, more RSP room that way than you do normally. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're an equity investor and your investments make a high rate of return, you get to the maximum that you can do. And what happens is you can put in less than you get less RSP room than you normally would because you're always up against the maximum that you're allowed to have in the plan. Wow. So the employer in the example there is, you know, when there's when there's good years, the employer is putting in less. When there's bad years, they end up having to put in more. They're in essence, you know, guaranteeing it. Okay. So your pension is as uh, guaranteed as the as your employer and your employer thinks of profitability, you know? Yeah. Like everything in life, there's uncertainty. Chrissy, uh, getting down to the last couple questions here, go for it. So the option with more certainty appears to be 
Kate asks, if, if you keep the money with the pension fund until you're 55 or 65 plus. However, that has a very low ROI according to her calculations. I guess she's trying to ask, is that worth it? I mean, that leads into her last question, which she says at this point, it almost seems most prudent to ignore the pension um, in her fire calculations because there are too many unknowns. So, so she basically has a 10% plus hit to her salary on top of taxes and all other deductions for a questionable benefit. And then she gets to start saving. So she says, tell me there's a better way. It's starting to look like a pension is not golden handcuffs at all, but just plain steel ones or whatever handcuffs are made out of. <laughs> yeah, you know what? They're confusing. And I can see where sometimes people think they put pensions in the category of too hard. So I'm just, I'm still not, I'm just going to ignore it. But, you know, it's still a big number, you know, and it's whichever you decide, it's it's an important piece to make a decision and make the right decision for your case. So it's it's better to, uh, you know, I hope if she listens to this, maybe she'll understand what what these are. And it's, it's it, rather than putting in the too hard, it's better to get some advice and figure it out and, you know, and decide what to do. But she's thinking she's making a low ROI. I don't know how she did her math. But remember, in essence, you're probably making 5% a year on it, you know, plus the plus you're getting the employer's contribution, which if, you know, if she's a if she's a good investor, then she might well be making quite a bit more than that. And that's why she may be thinking that it's low. Yeah, I think all the information that you gave us today, Ed, sort of leads into answering that final question that she had because there's clearly a lot that we need to uh, – need to work out here. And I was very interested to hear that you can get quotes on the commuted value. And my wife's going to be super excited to hear that I'm going to force her to stop working before 55 so that we can commute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. If you she gets to retire early no matter what. <laughs> yeah. It can put that goal out there, right? It's the only way I can commute this thing is if I... You know, and leave money for my kids and have the flexibility and get the higher rate of return. But I got to retire before 55. So you got to save up a lot before 55 to do that, right? So it's perfect for the fire community, you know, to target retiring early and commuting. Commuting the pension, I, I find, is is something people in the fire community often want to do. Right. So, and that's why we got a lot of questions about it. Yeah. Right. And actually, so one other thing is most pensions – won't even pay you a pension. Like if you retire really early, they won't even pay you a pension until you're 55. Oh. So we had a client that uh, we had the retirement plan was to retire at 52. Well, she couldn't even get the pension till 55. So then, so the the only options are commuted or you're taking everything from your RSPs from your own investments for the first three years before the pension starts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so there's always, the, you know, you got to be careful with pensions. There's always restrictions, you know. Another item that I picked out of our conversation that I thought was really interesting and I think is quite applicable to the FIR and FIRE community is that if you were to do some math and you chose the commuted value, the advantage for early retirement there is that the Lira is going to be locked in until 55, which you can sort of plan for, but you do get that cash value, even though it's taxable, that you can now work into your financial independence calculations at that time. So I think that's pretty interesting for our listeners to dig into a little bit as well. So, Right. Yeah, because if you're, a, you know, like I just wrote a plan for people retiring in their 30s. Oh, yeah. Right. So wow. if you and if you have a DD pension in your 30s, well, it's not going to be a million bucks. It's not going to be that huge of a number yet. Yeah. But yeah. You may get a chunk of cash, you're right, that you can use right away can work with yeah at 55 you can convert your lip your art lira to a lift you can unlock half of it that you can access right away yeah so i i have one more question before we wrap up here so after all this discussion it's clear that pensions are quite complicated it's not easy to do all this math for someone who's feeling a little overwhelmed and does want the help of course they can come see you but what kinds of experts should they be looking for who who is most qualified to help calculate these kinds of um, pension questions? Yeah, you know, that's actually a good question because if you go to the pension company, they'll they'll answer certain questions, but they, they often don't give you the insight. You know, they'll give you, well, here's the pension amount. They're sometimes hesitant to give the, uh, the community value because I think there was a part of it that I remember she said that, Kate said that when she went to their own pension, uh, yeah. pension uh, seminar, 
they, they they wouldn't talk about the commuted value because yeah, they don't want to get into that whole discussion because then a whole bunch of people say, oh, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> so they're not even going to talk about it. Well, yeah, okay, but you, you, you know, it's an important one to think about, you know, it's, yeah. Whatever, it's not not nearly everybody should do it, but mm -hmm. it's it's. Uh, but you got to get information, and it's actually hard to find good good people to understand it. Like I think you need a good financial planner that will. Okay, so not an accountant. Would a, an accountant work? Um, yeah, but it's more it's more a financial planning question yeah. than an accounting. Accountant would would you know look at the tax part of it. Okay. So um, but you know they also have their biases. Like I think you find an accountant. Uh, accountants tend to be really conservative and <laughs> okay. like pensions. You know, even for self-employed people, I find a lot of accountants like CPP, even though self-employed people have to pay double, have to pay in double. Yeah. yeah. And it's a really lousy rate of return, but, you know, yep. accountants seem to like it because they're conservative people. They like guarantees. There's a danger if you go to a financial planner because a lot of them, they want you to move the money to you, to them, Right. So they're just always going to say that you should commute it. Mm. And, you know, like it's, it's not, not nearly everybody should do it. You just, you want to, you want to get it. But, but wait, I, I guess you could probably get a financial planner or someone to do a projection for you and actually show you the projection. And then you got to, you know, evaluate it yourself and make sure that they've done a good, they've done an accurate job of it. But yeah, you know, the best thing, if you want to get the value is get the pension quote, get the commuted value and the pension. When you have the two of them, then the math isn't particularly hard anymore. Then it's, you know, it's, this is retiring at 65. Okay. I invest for 10 years. So I'm going to make what 8% a year or whatever it is. Then what does it grow to? I'm going to take 4% a year out. How does that compare? What the pension would pay me? You know, it's so that if you get those quotes, then the math isn't, isn't that, uh, that difficult anymore. Yeah, you're right. That makes it a lot simpler. Yeah, so you need to know you need to know the numbers. Yeah, and you can you can get them. Mm -hmm. That's good. To that's know. important. To know, yeah, you can get them from the pension administrator, and that's and then you can then you can make a decision based on knowledge. Perfect. So, Kate, I love Kate's question. It's quite funny. It's just, <laughs> forget it, it's just too hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, I've I've actually run into a fair number when I did pensions uh, seminars. I ran into a fair number of government employees that thought it was 100% of their salary, but it's not. It's much closer to 50%. So again, you got to look at your formula because usually it's it's 2% a year, but sometimes it's 1.5% a year. But let's, let's say it's 2% a year times the average invest five years. Uh, most pensions max out at 30 or 35 years is all you're allowed in there. But let's say it's 2% times and you work for 30 years. That's that's two two percent times thirty is sixty percent, so it's sixty percent of your average of your last five years. So the average of your last five years is kind of what you made maybe the third year before you retire, and you're getting sixty percent of that. Now that's what you can get if you're single. Uh, if you're married, then there's a cost to the spousal benefit because your spouse gets sixty percent usually, or sometimes eighty or one hundred percent of your pension. Your spouse gets uh, uh, gets that benefit, and that re reduces it by five or ten percent. And that the difference is based on whether your spouse is uh, male or female, and younger or older than you. It's wow. based on, uh, on actuarial life expectancy numbers, right? So then you're so you're getting sixty percent of you know third year before you retire, and then it's being reduced by five or ten percent. So it's, you know, it's roughly half of what you're making when you retire. It's pretty close to half. And then most of the pensions, especially the government ones, are integrated with CPP, which means they give you this formula of what you get, but that's what you get from the pension and CPP combined. So that's you, interesting. you still get all the security on top of that, but it's what you get from CPP and, and, the, and the pension combined. So you're, wow. you're, you're making 80000 you can end up getting forty thousand from your pension and CPP, and then you know then whatever old age security on top of that plus whatever else you get. And wow. the reason, part of why they have this integrating is, let's say you retire at sixty. What actually happens is, so if you're retiring at sixty, your pension is going to be let's say fifty thousand, and CPP is going to kick in. It's going to be thirteen thousand, but it's going to start at sixty-five. What happens is your pension pays you fifty thousand from age sixty to sixty-four, 
and then it drops by 13,000 when CPP kicks in. So you're at the same pension all the way through. So that's how they, that's how they integrate it. That is interesting. interesting. That's very interesting. I had never realized that. Yeah, and I, I can see now why Kate might might feel a bit frustrated because you yeah. kind of know what what you're in for, and right. if, if you take a job like this, you can't opt out of the pension. So you, you it, it, it is you, you do feel kind of stuck because um, it, in one way it's great because you're getting the employer match, but in on the other hand, uh, it it's not the highest of returns for on your money. Right. Yes. So, um, yeah, but you could you can figure out what the amounts, you know, half of what you're what you're making, at least at least that is a, is fairly close. You know, the possible good news for Kate is maybe maybe if she, like she's talking about retiring at 55 or 65 and it's quite possible that she doesn't even have the option to commute, that it's already it's already too late and she doesn't have that option. So maybe the good news is she has no decision to make. She's just stuck. (laughs) (laughs) Not too hard. You just ask the pension home, you know, administrator, how much am I going to get? That's it. And then work with it. (laughs) Fair enough. Well, I'm fairly certain this episode is probably going to spur more questions coming at us. This is fantastic. It's been great information. Thanks so much for coming again on the show, Ed. Uh, It's Ed Rempel, UR fee-for-service financial planner. And our guests can find you at your blog, which is unconventional, right? I didn't say uncommon at the beginning, did I? No, you no. Didn't. <laughs> unconventionalwisdom.ca. There you go. Canada. Yeah. Or just edrempel.com. Perfect. Thank you so much, Ed. We, we always love chatting with you and our listeners really enjoy the information you share. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for again, again for inviting me. It's always fun talking to you guys. Thanks for listening. If you've been getting value from our content, please support us in the following ways. One, leave us a review and subscribe in your favorite podcast player. Two, tell your friends and family about us. Three, use our referral links at exploreficanada.ca forward slash recommendations. All of our show notes can be found at exploreficanada.ca. You can also find us at our own blogs, figarage.ca or eatsleepbreathefi.com. Today's episode was edited and mixed by Max Desmarais with episode transcripts provided by otter.ai.